Welcome to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Each and every podcast, hosts Mike Niemer and Greg Frank will bring you energy experts to help you better understand the renewable and sustainability space. Education is important to us because it's important to you, the listener. Now here's Mike Niemer and Greg Frank. And a pleasant hello to all of our loyal listeners here on The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. My name is Greg Frank. We're going to hear from Mike Niemer, myself, and our guest in just a minute on the episode coming up. It is episode 153, as we are back after a minor hiatus. Mike went on vacation, so we'll touch on that as well. But before we get into the nitty-gritty of episode 153, we do want to check in with eRenewable COO and Niemer. Ann Niemer here, COO of eRenewable. If you are a wind, solar, or battery storage developer and you're looking to find an off-taker, our online live auction is a perfect platform to help you find that buyer. Conversely, if you're a CNI customer and you're looking to establish a PPA or VPPA, our auction platform could work for you. To learn more about how we can assist you with your power purchase agreement, visit us at eRenewable.com. And now, back to the Green Insider. And we welcome you into episode 153 of The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Alongside Mike Niemer, I am Greg Frank. Mike, it's good to be back. I know you had a, a nice vacation. You're also doing some e-renewable stuff in San Jose. So a uh, little work, a little pleasure. And uh, now here we are for a couple episodes before the holidays. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's good to get back at it and be in studio. We had a great time at Verge 22, met a lot of good folks and uh, made some great business contacts and e-renewable uh, there's some popular items that we had to talk about that people wanted to hear. So that's always a, a pleasure to hear. But anyway, good to be back at it. I'm excited for today's guest because, ladies and gentlemen, the topic's Bitcoin and you know everybody's talking about it. So we've got a great guest to educate us and uh, tell us everything we need to know about that. And so uh, anyway, I'm going to give it back to you and let's take off. All right. Let's you just that as his name is William Simasegi. He is the CEO and founder at SAS Mining. Inc., which is a retail-focused Bitcoin mining as a service platform and the host of the Everything Crypto Mining, the SAS Mining podcast. Will, it's good to have you aboard. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Well, I do want to start on a lighter note because you mentioned you're in Jersey City, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Just okay. moved here. Just moved there. Okay. So maybe you won't be able to fully understand the lingo yet, but you're talking to somebody that grew up in Southern New Jersey. So uh, the debate about if central New Jersey exists is something that I don't know if you've immersed yourself in yet, but it's something I grew up with. And I believe it is firmly South and North and the South people claim Philly. The North people claim New York. The South people call the breakfast meat pork roll. The North people call it Taylor ham. So I don't know if you've picked up on any of that yet, but you will soon enough. You know, I've started to notice it, but I definitely am no expert. So I'm going to have to pick up on it. Maybe you can teach me a, a thing or two. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, let's have you teach us a thing or two about what you've been getting into with SAS mining and, and your background, obviously, what drew you to crypto and how it, call, how it kind of all intertwines with energy. Tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, let's say let's say you uh, roll you roll back the clock, right? So back to 2018. At that time, you were looking at a very different mining industry. Uh, you had these big miners who really weren't very familiar with the energy sector, and vice versa. At the same time, you had these large energy executives looking at all these Bitcoin miners, thinking, 
you know, what, what are these crazy people trying to do consuming this electricity to try and produce Bitcoin? And that's the industry that we came into. So when I founded SAS Mining in January of 2018, I saw this disconnect and I wondered, you know, what could we do to try and marry these two industries? And we had our own small mining operation, but we also had a consulting arm where we would go and speak with a lot of these large Bitcoin mining executives, as well as the large energy executives, and try and help them get projects up and off the ground. So fast forward, we're building this out, we're consulting with these different companies, and our phone keeps blowing up from people that want to get into Bitcoin mining. But let's say that you you call us up and you have $50,000 to get into mining, we'd have to turn you away because you need millions of dollars if you want to actually mine Bitcoin the right way. And after so many calls, we realized, wait, you have an enormous market here of people that want to get into Bitcoin mining, but they don't have the avenue to do it unless they have millions of dollars or the time, really, because it takes a long time for you to build a mining operation. And so we realized that we were positioned perfectly to go and help solve this problem. And that's why we built and launched the SAS Mining platform. So that launched earlier this year. If you go on to sasmining.com, you can go on. And if you want to become a Bitcoin miner, you can put down a deposit and purchase a mining rig once you get off the wait list and actually be mining Bitcoin on fully renewable hydropower and not having to really be an expert in mining. And that is really where I think uh, what I'm personally most excited about is the fact that there's, you're seeing the marrying of the energy sector and the mining industry. But on top of that, you're seeing more and more people that are going to be able to participate over time. And really in a big way that we'll talk to later in this conversation, how Bitcoin mining is great for the energy sector and how Bitcoin mining is going to help drive renewable energy development in the future. Well, first, I want to say thank you for using the hydro and clean energy uh for your Bitcoin mining, because that's great helping the, us all reduce our carbon footprint. So that's awesome for doing that. But I want to make this crystal clear for the listeners out there. When we hear the term retail Bitcoin mining, that is where, in your example, SAS mining puts in all the machinery needed to mine for Bitcoins. But an individual, Greg and I, whoever it might be, that once doesn't have the million dollars to get into it themselves, they can buy a piece of the equipment you already have and get their equivalent share of the Bitcoins found through that machine. Is it my understanding that correctly? Yeah, th thank you for breaking that down. The, the big key and why this platform that we built is unlike any other is because we make it easy for you to actually own a miner and start generating Bitcoin from it. So when you go onto the platform, you, put, you purchase a miner, that miner is now owned by you and we take care of running it. So we're like your partner at SAS Mining and helping you on your mining journey. That miner, once it's up and running in that hydro facility in Wisconsin, is consuming energy, generating Bitcoin. And that Bitcoin that's generated by your machine is then deposited into your Bitcoin wallet. And you can see all of that through your dashboard. You can see how much Bitcoin you've mined. And uh, it's, it really is a disruptive product because it's not like you're owning part of a miner. You own a, a full mining, a piece of mining hardware that is now mining Bitcoin and depositing that Bitcoin into your wallet. Okay, to break it down a step further. So SAS Mining owns the data center all the Bitcoin miners have all their equipment in. Would that be a correct assumption? 
Yeah, we partner with customers as well as partner with facilities. So right okay. now we've got a we're partnering with a facility out in uh, Wisconsin that's 100% hydropower. We try and source, and this comes from the expertise that we've built up in the mining in Bitcoin mining, is that each facility is different. It's built in a different way, and not all facilities are built are equal. Right? Some might be operated very well, others might be operated not as well. And that's part of our job as your partner in this is to try and find the sites that are run in the best way possible. And so if, if we go to your website, sasmining.com, and we in turn want to put 50 grand in with a miner, does SAS Mining assign a miner to us or do we have those to choose from off your website? Yeah, great question. So you go on, when we do the capital collection for the payment, we let you know where your miner is going to be placed, how long, how much it's going to cost, uh, what type of miner you're actually purchasing, because there's different types of hardware. And all that information is given to you uh, when we're doing the capital collection. And okay. what our goal is, is we want to find the best renewable powered or carbon negative powered sites in the entire world. And bring you as the customer into those sites. Okay. And so for the novice out there, if there's listening to this and has an interest, give what's a typical minimum investment you would have to make to be able to have a piece of the action, so to speak. Yeah. Well, it's, it's really just the cost of a single miner. So the most recent pricing that we've been displaying is that each miner is the particular type of miner, if you want to know, is the um, Bitmain S19J Pro, uh, but it's a Bitcoin miner that is on the market right now selling for $2,500. If you want to put in $2,500 and purchase a miner, then you can start mining Bitcoin with SAS Mining. What we do and the way that we make money is we pass along the miner to you at cost. We pass along the, the electricity and the hosting and everything at cost to you. And then the way that we make money is we keep 15% of the Bitcoin that's generated. So we align our incentives with you because we have an incentive to make sure that your machine's online and, and mining generating Bitcoin. Because if it's not, then we're also not generating any Bitcoin for ourselves. Well, I'm just curious when you talk about the customers and Mike mentions kind of the, the novice of, you know, the person that maybe is just interested in getting involved. What do you know about the backgrounds of the people you're dealing with and the people that are coming to you? Is it, how wide ranging is the kind of scope of uh, interest from a personal background of your customers? Yeah, this is one insight that has been very interesting, at least for me personally, is when you think about it, Bitcoin mining, you're owning a hard asset and that hard asset is consuming electricity and generating Bitcoin. And at the end of the day, it's a very different investment profile than a lot of other things in um, in the crypto universe, and then also a different investment profile than what you see in Bitcoin. And so in regards to the particular customers that we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of people who have entrepreneurial spirits, who, who've been entrepreneurs or been in real estate wanting to get in. And because at the end of the day, once you generate that Bitcoin, it's your decision what to do with it. You can hold on to it. You can sell it. You can do that that Bitcoin once it's in your wallet is yours. And so you get to manage your cash flows, whatever you want to do in the with your capital once you earn that Bitcoin. So entrepreneurs, people in real estate, 
And then I think over time, you're going to see a lot, as more people hear about it, you're just going to see more of the everyday person try and get involved in it. Just like how today you've got, I, I believe, 160 million different people that have exposure to Bitcoin. I'm not saying that you're going to have 160 million people with exposure to Bitcoin mining, but right now there's over 160 times as many people with Bitcoin compared to Bitcoin mining exposure. And I think that companies like SAS Mining are going to bridge that gap down. So you're going to see a lot more people that can now begin mining. And through SAS Mining, it's using renewable energy. <laughs> how about, and, and we talk a little bit about the customer base, how about from a, a staffing perspective, where are you guys at in terms of who you're working with and people that you're bringing on to try and grow SAS mining? Yeah. Well, this is one of the things that I think is really interesting about our model is that we're the platform that connects you with all of the different, all, if, if you're a customer, we connect you with the mining facilities and we're like the platform layer, almost like how Airbnb doesn't buy all the houses on the platform. We're not buying all of the mining rigs, uh, but we're helping source and connect these different parties in this type of a way. So we're actually very uh, per personnel light might be a better way to say it, but there are a lot of people that we're partnering with to try and provide these values, uh, this value to our customers. Yeah. So we've and, got people around the place that, that help with that. And and to follow up on that, then what, what kind of relationships are you developing? Like, tell us a little bit about what that's like in terms of, acquiring partners and finding, you know, the proper mining facilities and the, you know, associations and organizations that you want to connect customers with? What's that process like? Yeah, great question. And this is kind of where our consulting experience really comes into handy, it comes in handy, because uh, through the consulting, we met a lot of big players in the mining industry, but we also have our podcast, the SAS Mining Podcast. And there uh, we get the chance to further not only build the brand and show people what it is that we're up to and showcase that knowledge, but also to connect with even more people. And so once we know all the large players in the industry, now the next step is you go and you find the best facilities available that you can go and put customer, customer equipment in. So when you go onto the platform, we're making sure that your miners are going into the same types of facilities that you would never really have the chance to access if you didn't have substantial capital. Uh, but we're bridging that gap and getting that equipment into these top facilities around the world. You know, um, I'm sure everybody out there listening to now, their minds are just working. We can hear them working through the podcast here. I'm telling you, they're going to ask the one final question here with regards to the investment. What kind of ROI, even though it's a moving target with the price of Bitcoin, What's a typical ROI do you think that they experience? And maybe you don't know it because you're just the host behind it, like Airbnb, like you said. But do you have any idea what's kind of common? Yeah, actually, if you go onto the website and you scroll down a little bit, we have a calculator on there. That calculator uses real ties in from real historical data to show how profitable that that miner would be. And it's not just from a very short period of time. When you look at mining, you want to look at spans of six months at a time, just because when you look at mining, it's very volatile, just like Bitcoin. In terms of like if Bitcoin's price is up, you're generating more Bitcoin, uh, more valuable Bitcoin versus if Bitcoin's price is down, that Bitcoin that you can sell is less valuable. So 
that calculator on our website breaks it down very uh, succinctly. I actually, I, if I pull it up right now, my guess is that it's an 18 month that's displayed on the website, but I would have to double check here. 19 months. So there you go. As of uh, November 8th. <laughs> well, I want to go back to what you talked about with your podcast. And, you know, that's something that, uh, you know, as somebody that went to school for journalism and works full time in radio, I look at the radio podcast space is a, a way to just kind of have fun and to kind of let loose about whatever subject material you want to, you know, let loose about, whether it be sports or, you know, I listen to some movie podcasts here and there. And it's just kind of like your kind of water cooler interests that you can almost sit at the bar over and, and talk about, except it's your career. And I do feel like, especially working with Mike and now hearing you and some of our other guests, we have heard that real educational element of the podcast platform be very powerful. And, you know, that's a little bit of a different angle as opposed to what I just described and kind of how I view it. And not that that's wrong or anything, but I'm just curious how powerful that is for you guys in terms of educating your customer base and just getting the word out there. How much has that helped uh, just educate people about who you are and, and grow your platform a little bit? Yeah, that's a good point. I think that when you're going and you're listening to a podcast, there's there's definitely different ways that you can approach it. Some people want more of the educational content. Some people want to really just have a good time, enjoy, not really worry about learning about deep topics. And for ours in particular, we, we dive in very deep in certain areas, uh, understanding energy, understanding money, understanding Bitcoin mining. We, we've had on a lot of the, the biggest miners in the entire industry. We've had on a lot of other industry leaders outside of mining and influencers and Bitcoin and crypto. And the conversations, you learn so much because you're talking to these people who are absolutely brilliant, who are on the cutting edge of technology, and you're picking their brain trying to figure out, okay, well, what do you see happening today? What do you see as happening in the future? What are your predictions? And then when you take in all these different nuggets of knowledge and really try and discern what the path forward is in many areas, it's just so different than the everyday person out there, what they see in the world today. And it's really exciting to see some of the predictions come true. I mean, I've been talking to some people from early on when Bitcoin was in under $5,000 and they seemed crazy when they were saying that Bitcoin was going to hit over 50,000. But the crazy thing about that is the majority of people who are super educated on Bitcoin had that type of conviction. And I think that today you still have those, I would say, shining stars of intellect, but those very smart people out there who uh, who have these predictions and are going to, if you listen to them, then, then you're really going to be in a good position to be able to make good decisions moving forward. Well, speaking of that, you know, the reason we started the Green Insider was to educate everybody, and we quickly became uh, ESG focused and sustainability. We weren't just wind and solar and battery people talking here. And so I came from oil and gas. I crossed over to the renewable space and going through over 150 podcasts that we've had. It's like going to college and listening to professors every time because we've had well over 50 CEOs on talking about their companies and educating us and the listeners. And so uh, I understand everything you said, but talking education, let's get back to why we're here. I want two things to cover. 
I want to get take a deeper dive into energy in the Bitcoin mining space because we know, especially in Houston or in Houston, in Texas, West Texas wind, they're all tied to a lot of those data centers out there that host the Bitcoin miners and it affects the grid. So we want to go into that. And before it's all over, I want to come back around to because your specialty is Bitcoins. I know there's a big um, a deep conversation going on out there with regards to Bitcoin versus the dollar and how people view those two things. So at the end, let's kind of cover that too. But for right now, let's talk about the energy and all the data and the, the consumption that you guys use in the energy and how that's affecting the grids from your perspective. Yeah, this is one of my favorite topics. Uh, there's a lot to cover. I'll start. I'll start with the grid perspective, but I definitely want to talk about the carbon negative aspect of Bitcoin mining. So uh, first with the grid, if you look at any mainstream media that tries to cover Bitcoin mining, they are just failing miserably in terms of doing their research because they're all attacking Bitcoin for its energy use. And first off, to understand the energy use, you first have to understand the value that the network's providing, right? I mean, many of the smartest people in human history tried to create a type of money that was tied to real world energy and many of them failed. Uh, Bitcoin, because of Bitcoin mining, is tying money to real world energy. Without the Bitcoin miners, you don't have a working Bitcoin network. If you send me Bitcoin, the reason why that's accounted for is because of the service that the Bitcoin miners, the Bitcoin miners provide. And in regards to the grid, the incredible thing about the incentives of Bitcoin mining is it incentivizes an economic incentive to go and build out more, uh, a more generation capacity. And it and Bitcoin miners, you're incentivized to go after the lowest, cheapest forms of energy, um, which is normally stranded power assets, uh, places that might be flaring, um, that might be flaring. And so with Bitcoin mining, you're actually adding to the total capacity that could be added onto and consumed by the grid. And you have an incentive to shut off when there's a lot of demand. So let's say that just for simple numbers, uh, you have a grid that has like 10 gigawatts of power. And then all of a sudden Bitcoin miners come and they add a gigawatt of, um, of capacity. Well, now you have 11 that could service everyone on the grid. That is a huge net positive because when there's high demand, like for example, when you're going through the, the blackouts in Texas, what did the Bitcoin miners do? They all shut off. And then all that infrastructure that you saw the Bitcoin miners provide in terms of total capacity, now that's all of a sudden available for every single person who's connected to ERCOT, to the grid there. So I think that it's a huge positive. It's a huge incentive to go and increase capacity and, and generate more power. And on the actual environmental piece, the biggest conversation that I think you're seeing right now is on the, what I touched on earlier, methane capture. So right now you have an unbelievable amount of vented methane emissions happening globally. What are we doing about it? We're doing nothing about it. And as a society, because there is no clear economic incentive for you to go and capture that methane. The best solution currently is something along the lines of flaring, which doesn't really solve the process and doesn't generate a lot of economic value. Bitcoin mining is currently the only available technology that can scalably reduce humanity's growing methane problems by capturing that methane, 
turning it into electricity, and then consuming it on site with Bitcoin miners. And I think that in the future, you're going to see many, many more miners go and capture vented methane and produce Bitcoin with it. And uh, I think that that is one of the most powerful levers that we have as uh, as a society, like as humanity, to lower our to lower um, and combat global warming. Uh, without it, then I think we're in big trouble. I mean, many people don't know, but methane is 84 times has 84 times the warming effect uh, that of CO2 over a 20 year period. So it's 85, 84 times more warming than CO2. And there's no clear solution to fix it except for Bitcoin mining. So um, that's the big takeaway that if you're listening to this, the one thing you should take away is Bitcoin mining is not bad for the environment. In fact, the truth of it is that it is the most powerful lever that we have as a society to combat global warming. Well, let's touch first. Uh, I'm going to go in reverse order. I'm going to talk about your carbon capture that you were just talking about. Okay. Are there any Bitcoin miners currently doing that where they're taking the flared gas and turned it into power running their uh, mining operations? Is that currently being done or is that still just being talked about? Yeah, it's currently being done. Actually, the most recent episode of um, our podcast was with Adam Wright. He's the CEO of Vespine. He's working with a municipality that has a landfill that's currently, you know, venting methane and they're going, they're capturing it and they're building out their pilot. Um, but on the other hand, there's companies that are further along, like Crusoe, they're partnered with uh, ExxonMobil actually, and they're going and they've been doing this um, on many, many different sites. So not just like the first site like Vespine's doing. Vespine also has 12, I believe 12 sites in queue. Crusoe has been doing it for a number of years. And um, I think that they just raised, they just raised a few hundred million dollars to go and continue scaling their solution. So um, it is happening and it's happening at, at scale. Uh, and I believe that the current rate of which more miners are going online right now. It exceeds seven megawatts, uh, I believe, per month. And that if you keep a linear growth rate, not even exponential, which right now it is growing faster than linear, then the entire carbon, uh, the entire Bitcoin network becomes carbon negative uh, before 2030. Well, you know, uh, for our longer time listeners, over a year ago, we started talking about responsibly sourced gas. And again, we use your 84 times number because uh, responsibly sourced gas has reduced methane content of 90% less than um, uh, the, the natural methane that's produced from a producer. And so that reduces the carbon footprint quite handily. And so I understand everything that you're talking about. And hopefully our longer listeners remember part of that conversation versus a, a couple previous podcasts we had. But anyway, then along with that, let's talk about that demand response that you guys are talking about with regards to the power. And mm -hmm. uh, listeners, demand response is where a manufacturer, in this example for Will, it's the Bitcoin mining. They have a product from a retail electric provider. They get their power. And if the market if, if the energy is needed on the grid, the retail electric provider can shut Will's company down and take his power to give it to homes to keep them lit during 
like the freeze here in Texas. That's what you're referring to. Did I explain mm-hmm. that simple enough? Do you think, Will, or do you have more to add to that? Yeah, I think that that was a great explanation. And the to put the Bitcoin mining element on it, Bitcoin mining is very unique compared to many other consumers of energy, right? If you're a hospital or you're an energy company providing electricity to a hospital, you can't suddenly shut them off on a dime or decide that, hey, for the next five hours, we're just not going to provide electricity to this hospital uh, because there are significant consequences from that. But with Bitcoin mining, it doesn't matter if we get shut off for 5% of the year, especially when the electricity is very expensive on the grid, because if we're on, we're generating Bitcoin. If we're off, then we're not generating Bitcoin. And if we're off and we're participating in demand response, then we're being compensated for, for keeping our machines off and we're helping to support the grid. It really makes a huge difference for these different grid operators if you can have a customer that you can shut off at any single point in time. And so that's where another, uh, when I go back to, I feel like I, I'm preaching <laughs> preaching from the, the gospel here, continuously talking about Bitcoin mining, but it really is true. Bitcoin mining is the killer application for the energy sector. It's something that we've been talking about for a number of years now, and we're starting to see more and more energy companies get far more sophisticated about this. And uh, I, I really think that we're on a, uh, we're on a growth curve that's going to just really help society combat global warming as more miners use vented methane to power their Bitcoin miners. And they're incentivized to because vented methane is obviously a lot cheaper than if you're going and trying to buy power off of a, off of a grid that has a lot of customers. So the miners do go and find the cheaper energy sources like methane. Well, at E-Renewable, we support the efforts that you guys are making in your industry. And uh, we've talked to several in the past, not quite into the detail you and I and Greg have gotten into today. But uh, moving on, I know that people are talking about Bitcoin revolutionizing money. What does that sentence mean? What are, what are they trying to tell everybody? What's How does John Q. Public understand what that means? Yeah, that's a great question. There are a lot of areas to that. So I think the best place to start would first be understanding how money works, right? Uh, The thing that makes Bitcoin so great is that it's not subject to the potential money printing that you see within every other fiat currency around the world. Every every currency issued by a country like uh, the US dollar or any others. All these other currencies are printed infinitum. If you look at almost every currency that's ever come into existence, it ends up going to becoming worth zero dollars. And that's because if you have the ability to print as much of a currency as you want, you will eventually print it away until there's no value behind it. If you go and you provide value, let's say that you go and you make houses and you sell houses, people are, you're, you're, putting in work and you're providing value and then you're being compensated for it by the buyer of the house. If someone else goes and say, hey, I'm going to print $10 trillion, they didn't suddenly create $10 trillion worth of goods and services that help improve people's lives. And so because of that, the money inherently has to get diluted. If all the goods and services are represented by a trillion dollars and then all of a sudden you print $10 trillion, all the dollars are worth a lot less for those same goods and services. And that's what we mean when the money's broken. 
I mean, you saw, I believe it was over 90% of all of the dollars in circulation printed in just the past few years. That is just absolute madness. From the, during a time when everyone's locked in their house and there's less goods and less services being produced, all of a sudden, the number of dollars that represent all these goods and services, uh, there are way more of them. So it's inevitable that you're going to get inflation. Inflation, And really, a good analogy is you think about the money today. It's like if you're going and you're trying to sail a ship across the ocean, are you going to sail a ship that has a massive hole in the bottom? No, because it'll sink, right? Well, with Bitcoin, the reason why it's a much better form of money is that it doesn't have that hole. It's not like anyone person, organization, government, no matter how much money you have, can suddenly change the supply of Bitcoin. I right now on this podcast can tell you exactly how many Bitcoin there are going to be in year 2140, in 2140. And I can tell you exactly how much Bitcoin is going to be in circulation between now and then at different four-year periods. It's full transparency of the money supply and everything in regards to um, how new currency comes into circulation. So because of this, it's just a better form of money. And uh, you know, as more and more currencies collapse and more and more currencies get printed into collapsing, then you're gonna see more people going to try and find a way to protect their money. And especially, I mean, you're seeing it in Lebanon right now, people don't trust government issued currencies. People trust decentralized currencies like Bitcoin. And uh, that's not even touching on the whole notion of how you're seeing a lot of citizens having their bank accounts seized, but there is a lot of power in you being able to have your currency, be your own bank, hold the private keys, and not have to log into your online banking one day and realize that there's no account under your name or that you can't withdraw money or that withdrawals are frozen. I mean, that is a very real reality for many, many people around the world right now. And it's been a reality for for all of history, really, with people having their wealth seized or stolen. Um, So those are a couple of data points. I could give a few more, but uh, Bitcoin is is far better than any fiat currency that's ever existed. Well, I'm glad at the end that you talked about around the world, because what I wanted to bring up is to make sure the listeners know you were not talking about strictly the U.S. dollar. You were talking about currency all over the world and not necessarily the U.S. dollar. Uh, in that example, would that be correct? Yeah. The, the big key of this is everything, money is just a representation of value and how value is transferred in society. And so with the US dollar, the US dollar, you have the reserve currency power and all other currencies are tied and pegged to the US dollar. And so what we're seeing is you're seeing a lot of other countries that are still printing, but don't have the reserve currency status, devaluing their currency because they don't have the real value in their society to back it. Um, But yeah, I mean, the US dollar, it's stronger than the other fiat currencies because of the reserve currency status, but inevitably you can't print something into oblivion and have it not lose its value. And uh, yeah, we're in a crazy time on a monetary front right now. And these next five years are going to be some of the craziest years, I, I believe, of, of all time in regards to how the monetary system around the world functions. All right. Well, Mike, that's just about all I got. Anything else? No, that's it. Uh, Will, 
your wealth information. I think in six months, we'd probably need to have you back for part two. Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, William Samasegi, our guest here on episode 153 of the Green Insider, powered by E-Renewable. For Mike Niemer, I'm Greg Frank. Everyone, a reminder, excuse me, to go subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star rating because as the saying goes, you learn something new every day. And we were responsible for today's lesson. Again, he's Mike Niemer. I'm Greg Frank. We're back with another episode next week. Until then, everyone, enjoy the rest of your day. This has been the Green Insider, powered by E-Renewable.